Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the lives of ourselves, our family, and others. Uh-oh, surprise! Oh, now what? Don't panic. Nope. But do think before you act. These might be the thoughts and the words that you have before there is a situation in front of you. This happens every day to people. Somewhere, somebody around has a surprise. It's an emergency that they have to deal with. Who even knows what it might be? But we can think logically and figure out what is most likely to to come into our area of um, concerns. It just might be that something happens. And then, with a, a little thought and a little planning, we can take steps to keep the pain away from us and the people who we love. I think that there are two categories of problems. First, there's the regular and the minor problems, which we can easily solve. And it's kind of like having um, an extra cell phone cord or charger or something like uh, to air up a tire. See, these are, are small problems that we can handle. And how about if there's a minor medical um, burn or a cut or something? Yeah, these are all minor. So, or something to eat or drink in case you have a breakdown in your car. Or a warm coat in your car to uh, carry with you. See, these are all in that category. But the other category of a serious event, now that takes more thought. There could be a big potential problem, something major like a flood or a fire or an earthquake. And this might keep you from getting home, or it might keep you from leaving home. These are the kind of events that can last weeks even. Hey, do you remember the Oroville Dam? Or do you remember various forest fires? And then there have been big earthquakes around the state too. And... You just have to ask yourselves, what do you want to do? Stay at home if there isn't such an event, or do you want to go out and find a hotel room someplace? Maybe stay with family or friends. These questions don't seem to have any very easy answers. But I hope you can give it some thought, because with ideas and with plannings, we can get through the difficulties a whole lot easier and, and so think about the concerns that you would have if an emergency comes up. Look and see what you think what you should do to prepare for such a situation. And remember the basic concerns that everyone has. Uh, think of um, having some, some uh, water and some food and some warmth with you just wherever you go. Flashlights are pretty good too. And a little radio and paper towels all those things are handy. Keep a little food and water in your car. And that's a ch challenge in the hot weather because mm, the cars, they get a little too hot, and then you have to rotate your food. But the point is, is you do something and do some, some care for an emergency that just might come up. Uh, you don't want to be hungry and thirsty. It's just better that way. Oh, yep, it sure is. Well, start your preparations now before there is an urgent need, and what you want is hard to find. This is episode 42, and as for today, give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. Your letters with questions or donations are important. John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222. Chico, California, 
888-529-9527. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Saddle up your horses Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome to Red Sky Radio, wherever you are throughout the entire globe, as we are broadcasting everywhere. Over internet radio, over dark sky radio, you may be receiving this in various ways and means. Whether you're on KKVV in Las Vegas, whether you're on KKMC in the South Bay area of San Francisco. And yes, to our beleaguered friends and colleagues up in Northern California on KKXX, I'm not exactly sure how they are receiving this program or how anybody up there is getting the program. But they may be able to get it over internet radio. If they can't get it locally, um, please do so. We are in deep prayer for our brothers and sisters in Northern California with these fires. And this program today is very, very unique. It is very special. It is a, it is a teaching of sorts that relates to tragedy that is contemporary in nature. We all have tragedies and various challenges and setbacks and things of that sort. And I promised that I would start with good news. And the good news is that the Word of God really does contain the answers to every meaningful issue in life. And that is, that, and, that is and does include even such situations as looking at cataclysmic things that occur, whether it's war, whether it's devastating and destructive fires, whether it's shootings. There are these things are covered to a large degree in the Word of God that gives us examples, particularly in the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, but things that happen in society and around the world in different places because the challenges inside America are not unique to America. The challenges dealing with when there's a tragedy are the same in India, whether it's in Russia, whether it is in Saudi Arabia, whether it's in Chile, whether it's in the United Kingdom, Dubai, it does not matter. The Word of God applies to everything everywhere, which means it applies to everybody everywhere. I can only relate primarily as a matter of disasters or things that occur that are close to me geographically, of which I get more uh, information. But the lessons to be learned are applicable universally throughout the whole world and forever. That's the beauty of God's Word, is that Whatever language it gets produced in, it's right there for the here and the now in the mountains of Mongolia to the uh, plains of Patagonia. Okay? I think I've made my point here. But I am going, what's special about this program and the teaching is that we are going to cover today um, in sp a little specific, to a certain specific extent, the fire up in Chico, but it's really Paradise, California, and that's partly because it's so severe, it was so unexpected, it is so devastating, 
They have found, what, I think 68 bodies, and there are 631 missing. <clears throat> but something that's missing is apparently, from what I understand, we just had a, a, a significant communication uh, blackout. From what I understand, the tower that this program broadcasts over is in Paradise, California, on the AM station. If I'm not mistaken, that tower is gone or the equipment is toasted. And I don't know if the FM is up in that area. So people in Paradise, I don't even know if you're getting this program. But we're going to deal with that situation up there today as a matter of teaching how we deal with tragedies wherever they are and what can we elicit from the Word of God that deals with those tragedies, whatever kind of tragedy it is. Now, I just want to say that, you know, you've got all sorts of things that afflict us in life. We have wars. We have crimes. Scripture talks about wars. Scripture talks about crimes and what to do with criminals. Uh, When do you execute criminals and when you don't execute criminals? What's sufficient evidence for execution? All these things are in the Word of God. But there are those natural disasters that occur which I have been close to some of them, not close to some of the others. I mean, um, I, I, I haven't been on high seas that are really, really rough, where there's in peril of a ship going down. I haven't faced that. I've been in Oklahoma, however, which is the tornado capital of the world. I've seen tornadoes in Michigan, seen tornadoes in Oklahoma, uh, there's something that you got to respect. I've been in severe windstorms. I've uh, been in multiple earthquakes in California. I have never been in a hurricane, but I own property once in Florida that got hit by a hurricane. That was my touch there. So various people we, we uh, have had various uh, exposures to various catastrophes. And now we're dealing with massive fires around California. Now, I would just want to say that the you know the whole issue of fire. I mean, I grew up in Michigan where there are some references to fire which were very very positive. I mean, we we always had a Yule log going a big log, big honking thing going in the fireplace uh on Christmas Eve and typically New Year's Eve as well. We would do that both times and that was a positive thing. But I do have brushes with fire that were particularly concerning. And the thing about fire is I'm not sure there is anything more terrifying than fire. I don't think earthquakes certainly aren't terrifying. I mean, in the sense that fire is, I mean, there's a shaking, but unless the ground opens up and you're swallowed, which has happened before, and you would not want to be in that crowd, um, but or you're in the 57th floor of a building, earthquakes are not a particular, they kind of rattle you, but they're not terrifying if you're not in a building or you get out as quickly as you can or you're in a single-story home. And yes, there can be damage, but it's not like fire. Tornadoes, you can see them and you can, to some extent, flee them or you can take cover. Uh, to some extent with hurricanes, but fire is unique. As we see in Paradise, the fire in California and others, sometimes you can't outrun the fire because it's all around you. And there's, there is no place to go. I have to believe that of all the, the natural disasters, fire, and for, from the people I've talked to of them who have been in fire situations, it's the most terrifying. It is just terrifying. And uh, I want to throw this out here just as a, a interesting thing is if fire were not the worst, then I'm not sure why hell would be a lake of fire. If tornadoes were the worst, you would be in perpetual tornadoes. If uh, hurricanes were the worst, it would be perpetual hurricanes. If uh, earth, whatever it is, but fire and the lake of fire is hell itself which they are in torment, as the rich man and Lazarus had the discussion in Scripture. He was in torment, continuous, perpetual torment. And if it was anything else, 
uh, it would probably be less uh, tormenting, and it wouldn't be as much hell. So hell, by definition, is got to be that which is the worst, or else it isn't really quite hell, right? That's kind of the way I see it. More on that in just a minute, though. But growing up, there were different things that uh, you, you know I had exposure to that were, to varying degrees, a, a brush with fire. Probably the worst was my father was a lumberman, had a lumberyard. <clears throat> I remember the night when the biggest, uh, largest building containing lumber uh, burst into flames, which apparently was from a set of oily rags. And it was probably the worst fire that ever happened in the town I grew up in, other than a fire that actually destroyed a bunch of stores on Main Street when I was almost too young to remember. But it was terrifying. And to see your, at a very young age, to see your father sweating and uh, fighting back, choking back tears because he's on the verge of losing everything, because you can't fully insure a lumberyard unless you're a big company. The risk is just is so great, which means the premium is astronomical. There's terrifying. I remember as a young man with my brother, we were setting off bottle rockets in the backyard of a house that I had purchased in Michigan, and the house backed up to an exotic animal ranch, which had multiple barns to hold the giraffes, the zebras, the rhinos, what have you. And for some crazy reason, this bottle rocket, instead of going straight up and straight down, went up about eight feet, hung a right turn, and took off like a cruise missile right into a paddock of the neighbor's barn where it landed on some straw. And we hustled over there, and in no time, I mean, it was panic, not because it was terrifying, but because in a relatively short period of time, it would have been terrifying to see all those barns go up in flames right uh, 150 feet from my house. But that would have been terrifying. It was terrifying when I had a chimney fire in California and and all the sparks were landing on my wooden shingles, the wood shingles that I had. And I was up there with a hose and didn't call the fire department, but putting it out, it was terrifying. I can tell you that. Well, last year... During the fires in California, coming through the Santa Barbara area, early one morning, they had not closed the freeway yet. There was fire on the left side of the freeway. It was burning on the right side of the freeway. There was nobody, excuse me, on on the freeway. It was not burning in the median, but it was burning on both sides, and I had so committed myself uh, to getting through there because I had to get through there and I had no alternative route. I didn't want to turn around because I didn't know behind me how close the fire had gotten to the road. So I kept going, and my answer was I took it up to 95 miles per hour. I could see where I was going, and there was nothing on the freeway, and I just screamed my way right through that. Now, that is nothing, nothing compared to the fire that occurred in Paradise, where you got a two-lane road lined with pine trees on both sides, a lot of brush underneath it that's burned, and there sit strings of cars all fried, and sadly with many fried and burned people inside those cars. Horrifying. I just can't even imagine. Well, what does... I just want to make a little bit of a turn here. What does Scripture say about fire? There's a lot of passages dealing with fire. I'm not going to spend much time on most of those passages because that's not what we are here to find out about, but we're going to get to where we look at some passages that will help, help, not clearly and totally define whether something is a natural disaster or whether it is judgment from God. And I'm not suggesting at this time that paradise is being judged in no way, shape, or form, but it is a true, unbelievable disaster. 7,700 homes, I think, are burned as of the time of this recording. I don't. None of the figures that I'm giving you today are going to be correct tomorrow because they all seem to just go up. 
But I want to cover this because it will lead us to uh, these other topics, because it will lead us to the way God uses fire and what does it mean. And what is the nature of fire that is so different than everything else from a biblical perspective? And now just first off, uh, just some... Uh, and I want I want to thank Greg Rhodes who wrote a piece that I'm going to borrow from his piece a little bit on some things here because he pointed out just a few things I probably wouldn't have that serve as a good backdrop but that there's obviously practical uses to fire in scripture uh the same today we use it for daily activities from uh cooking uh which is mentioned multiple times in scripture from keeping warm uh it gives us light uh, in Leviticus, they burned their garbage. They used fire to get rid of their waste. Uh, it's used, obviously, in uh, manufacturing. It's used in refining metals, in forging steel, in uh, uh, silver, and bringing the dross or the impurities to the top of the heated surface in silver and gold, which has a biblical application, I might add, too, because... There are times, and I'll just I'll just say this right at this point, fire is used not literally, but as a metaphor for that which God will maybe allow to come upon us to get rid of some impurities that are still hanging around, to bring it to the top, to the draw, so we can get rid of it. And sometimes uh, tragedy, in fact, probably all the time, tragedy, helps us reset our priorities, but it also probably helps us to look inside and say, gee, what have I been doing wrong? What could I do better? What really matters? It's time to take stock, to take inventory, just like you do when you take communion. Well, there were times when fire was used by God's people, the Hebrews, to destroy the enemy's cities in war. In Joshua, uh, Judges chapter 1, Kings 9, Matthew 22, uh, Joshua 6, it is used as a um, means by which, on occasion, not a lot in Scripture, but the criminals were executed by fire. They were burned in Daniel chapter 3, and Genesis chapter 38, Leviticus 20, Joshua chapter 7. And, you know, i got to interrupt myself here, uh, something I, I, I should have mentioned before. I'm covering a lot of stuff here that if you want to hear this again or you want to come back, go back and grab some verses, you can get this program one of two ways. Uh, I have a website, redskyradio.net. I'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to this program, you can reach me at info at redskyradio.net. That's info, I-N-F-O, at redskyradio.net. But on that webpage are the three most recent programs are always available on the homepage. They are also available on darkskyradio.com under podcasts for Red Sky Radio. And there you can download it. You can't download from my website, but you can download from darkskyradio.com from the podcast. Just want to mention that, and I'll try to remember it later again. Okay, and in addition uh, to using it as a tool of war by the Hebrews, they also used it for burning their sacrifices in the temple in Leviticus and other places which you're well aware of. Now, one of the things that is unique about fire is that it does only one thing. And you'll want to write this down or just remember it. Fire does only one thing. It consumes Fire consumes, and it tends to consume completely, but it consumes. It doesn't produce anything. It doesn't create anything. It consumes, and it states in Scripture that God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. Now, I want you to just consider something here for a second before we go into the areas of purification and punishment and is it judgment and all of those things, consider the fact that there are only two places that I can find in the Word of God. There might be something else. If you find it, you can let me know. Info at redskyradio.net. But that I can find where fire did not consume that which was burning. 
Only two places that I know of. The burning bush where God appeared unto Moses in the desert, in the wilderness. It burned, but it said it was not consumed. Okay, so there is a there is a, um, a manifestation of God's very presence. And why would it not consume the bush? Well, he was apparently occupying the bush and the fire. I mean, God won't consume himself, so I understand this. This is a supernatural manifestation of his presence. But let's go to the very other end of the spectrum. As far as you can get from God's presence is what? Hell. And in hell, the fire does not consume the people that are in hell. It is a per- the lake of fire is a perpetual torment. I don't know how that can work. I can't even imagine it. But if it consumed the people that were in hell, then hell would be over for that person. <clears throat> but it's not. Somehow it continues. So those are the only two examples I know of in Scripture where the fire doesn't consume something in its presence is the manifestation of God in all of his glory uh, at, uh, that, that he would he was able to reveal without uh, knocking Moses over in the wilderness, the burning bush, and then hell in all of its torment. Now, you might write to me and say, well, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended in flames, and that wasn't, uh, they didn't get consumed. It actually doesn't say that in Acts. It says it came down with flame, uh, with tongues as of fire, or sort of like fire. It doesn't actually say it was fire. But it came down a couple, I, I don't know what it looked like, but you could see it, a couple little tongues, little forks, it said as of fire. It was If, if it were fire, it would just have said fire. Tongues of fire came down, but it doesn't say that. It says it's like fire. So I don't want to get into a big debate on that one, but that's the only other one you might suppose uh, could be an exception to what I just laid out as two exceptions here where it doesn't consume. So anyway, move on. moving on, we see that there are times where God uses distinctly fire for purification to eliminate sin, to purify his people, uh, like the metal, like I referenced in Isaiah 1, uh, chapter 25, and then chapter 6. Uh, it says that we are tested sometimes as by fire, okay, because fire is a purifying agent. What do you do every time you, wanna, if you want to, if you need to pick your, prick your finger with a needle to, let's say, get a sliver out, what do you do? You light a match. And you will, uh, whatever that that pin or whatever you use, which is what I've done before, is you burn that tip of that needle, which basically sterilizes it. It purifies it. There's nothing that can remain unconsumed in the path of that fire. It's a purifying agent. And so we see that God uses it that way. And, And to a lesser extent, it's purifying in the sense of somebody who had uh, a rather scary passage, in my opinion, where in 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to read this one to you, 1 Corinthians 3, where it says in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 12, 12, if anyone builds on a foundation, meaning other than Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, In other words, if you have your foundation, your trust, if you're placing the building of your life as a Christian in anything other than Jesus, if you're relying on your money, you're relying on your silver, you're relying on your popularity, you're relying on your good health, your friendships, your whatever, if that's your main area of trust, then you're not relying on Jesus Christ. It is as as though it were gold, silver, stones, or wood, hay, or stubble, if you're building on that, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames." Now, I didn't read, I I usually use the King James for this. I didn't for for this one, but I'm not going to get into why, but it's, you get the point. 
If you build on something other than Jesus Christ, God will consume for your benefit and for my benefit everything you're relying on. If you're relying truly on your gold, he'll let some thief come in and steal your gold so you don't rely on it anymore. Now you've got to rely on him. If you're relying on something that you have built, your business, it may be a good thing in and of itself, but you have come to rely on it instead of God. He'll come in and consume it. In other words, he will send a fire, so to speak, that will test you, that will burn up everything that is that you are relying on, that you are building on for your success, your reliance. You've put your, and misplaced your trust away from God and onto other things. And so in essence, what he's saying here, if, you are, if that person ends up going to heaven, they escape with, as one who has raced through the flames like I was racing down the 101 highway in California a few months back. That was, that's how you escape, but you bring nothing with you. You've got, because you have built on the wrong foundation, you've got no reward. You show up naked. Yeah, you made it, but you got nothing with you. You got no good baggage, and all the bad baggage has been burned up. But God has done it to save you from going to a point where you reach the spot like the rich man who has so much, and then he has a great crop, and he tears down his barns and builds bigger barns so he can hold even more. And he says, therefore, I'm going to retire. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. God says he's, his, his reward is appointed to him with the unbelievers. See, the guy put his, put his entire trust and faith in something that wasn't biblical. God took it all away. In that case, that person wasn't even a believer. So he lost it all, and he ends up in hell. For a believer who has just got kind of a naked belief, if you will, he ends up naked, or she, because that's all they got left. It's just a belief. It's all they ever needed. But if that's the way they end up in life, they end up in heaven with no rewards. They made it, and obviously the worst place in heaven is better than the best place in hell. So don't get me wrong. But that's the purifying work, the cleansing work, of the Holy Spirit as it relates to things that we let come up in our life that we then become uh, trusting in. And folks, I'm no different than you. I got things I need to cut away. In fact, I'm thinking of some things even as I'm doing this message. So if you think I'm preaching, you're probably right. I'm preaching to myself. Now we're going to get down to the tougher area, the tougher area of judgment. And when is a fire a judgment and when uh, might it not be? Because there are many, I mean, I just came up the other day with 29 verses that deal about fire as judgment in this life and in the next life. And it's far more that deal with judgment that deal with the, the all, practically all the other things combined. Now, again, none of this, uh, before we jump to a break, is to say, that paradise, you suffered judgment from God. I actually do not believe that, but that's my thought. But we're going to explain why when we get back and how we would distinguish this disaster from other disasters using what? Oh, golly, the Word of God. We'll be right back with Red Sky Radio. Don't go away. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. 
We are back. This is Rob Walter with Red Sky Radio. You know, I got to just throw this out there. I We have a lot of listeners in India. Nepal sits on the northern border of India. I don't know if we have any listeners in Nepal. If you are in Nepal, could you just send me a note, info at redskyradio.net, info, red, info at redskyradio.net, and tell me you're listening because Kathmandu is Nepal. I use this, have been using this song forever, long before we were ever on internet radio and available in Nepal to be uh, heard. So I, w- I would just be intrigued, if, if you will. But again, that's info at redskyradio.net. And I also would just like to mention, while we uh, this program relies on uh, your support to be on the air, uh, on the website, we are getting it tuned up to be able to take uh, uh, contributions via credit card through PayPal. We're getting that uh, retooled so that would be more convenient for wherever you are around the world if God lays on your heart to support us. God loves a cheerful giver. If you'd like to do it, great. If you don't, hey, I am thrilled just having the opportunity to bring this program to wherever people are around this globe. Okay, now we're on to the tough one, the punishment side. God uses fire, as I said, 29 times as a a means of judgment, but most notably in Scripture, other than the lake of fire, the ultimate and consummate judgment for somebody who has rejected Jesus and has gone to hell, we have what we're talking about today. What are the present-day examples and I consider anything that's in Scripture present day, actually. We're not talking about a supernatural thing in the, in the lake of fire. But we're talking about things that like happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolutely, totally destroyed by fire. In Numbers 16, we read about Korah's rebellion. There were about 250 people that were part of Korah's rebellion. God rained down fire. God destroyed them by burning them. Um, he, the the final judgment on the earth, where it talks about in I think Second Peter, it is that the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. You see, it's all over the place in Scripture. And it says in Second Peter that the that the the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah was as an example to all us who afterward would live ungodly lives. Now, some people will say. Well, that's just a warning that as fire burned up the natural city, you'll burn in hell in the supernatural lake of fire, which will be uh, actually quite natural at that point in time. I don't think so. God continues to use judgment by different means. I cannot tell you that I know when, when it's an act of judgment or it's just simply, as Solomon said, one of the disasters that has come upon the earth. For he said, in talking about investing, he said, put your assets in six, seven, seven or eight different places for, for who knows what disaster shall come upon the earth. It's not like if a disaster will come, it's when a disaster comes, and who knows what disaster it'll be. So what he was saying was, not only do you have goats, but you have sheep and maybe you have chickens, because if some... Um, some uh, swine, uh, some flu thing knocks out, uh, some bird flu thing knocks out your chickens, you still got your sheep and your goats or something else. You get the point because you don't know what disaster comes or when it will come necessarily, but they do come. Now, those are not necessarily judgments of God, but he has used fire as a judgment. And in, in my way of thinking, he's used it quite recently. Now, before I break that down further, I want to I, I want to clear up something that I think is a misconception in the Word of God. Uh, John the Baptist said that he talked about Jesus coming and his uh, shoelaces he would not be worthy to unloose. But he said, there comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, folks, I've been in a... I, I became a Christian in a Pentecostal church, so I've heard this over and over again. God send down the fire. 
While James and John were the ones who were calling for fire to be sent down on a city that was not nice to them, they know about Korah's rebellion, fire being sent down. They knew about Sodom and Gomorrah, fire being sent down. So we should be careful when we ask for fire to be being sent down because I don't know of one situation where fire was sent down in Scripture that wasn't judgment. So I've never liked hearing that in church. God, send us the fire. The misconception is that the fire is the Holy Spirit. I think it draws back to that passage in Acts about the cloven tongues as of fire that descended upon people's head. Well, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've already had that experience. That's, I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't receive more of the Holy Spirit and be guided more greatly, greater than you have in the past by the Holy Spirit. Of course you can. But the fact of the matter is, when you sent, when fire gets sent down from heaven, it has always been a consuming fire of judgment. So be careful what you pray for. Now, some people will say, well, that's the Holy Spirit. No, I will prove to you it's not the Holy Spirit, because if it were the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, as, it's, as it reads, this is the way the passage would read, that not many days hence from now, the Lord will, will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with the Holy Ghost. You see, it's complete redundancy. If it means Holy, he's already said Holy Ghost. God does not introduce that kind of confusion in Scripture. If he's using a different word, he has a different meaning. I'm sorry if I sound like a lawyer. I am. But look, the practice of law originated in this country with a study of God's word. It really, truly did. Every word means something. If it's a different word, it has a different meaning. Scripture isn't missing words. It doesn't have extra words. God's not there to confuse us and mess us up. It's hard enough as it is sometimes to understand what is what God means in a particular passage. That fire, when he says, there's two interpretations that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and others with fire, meaning judgment, or, and this is my way of thinking, on it, uh, the way I understand this passage, that when we're baptized by the Holy Ghost, we're baptized with power. Where if we get baptized by fire, God is going to bring something, a fire that will burn off our impurities. He will turn up the heat. He wants to get rid of the wood, hay, and stubble now, now, so it doesn't get burnt off at the end of our life and we enter into heaven with nothing. He wants us to build a prosperous and productive ministry of uh, uh, now and meet people's needs, deliver the gospel. All that should happen now, but you got to get rid of all the crud that's in the way. All the things that are stand between you and your destiny and what God has called you, you got to get ready to dump or God will do it for you. How does he do it? He brings a fire. He turns up the heat. If you're hanging around in some job you know you should have left three years ago and you should be in Bible school, I will tell you what he's going to do. He's going to make the people at the job hate you. He'll make you hate the job. He'll bring people against you that you used to like. He will turn up the heat. He will refine you. He's going to bring that dross to the top, and he's going to say, okay, all right, you don't want to go based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. I've got some other tools at my disposal to get you out of this job that you've hung around and stayed around too long in and get you off to Bible school or to another job or to someplace else. If you're hanging around with the wrong woman, you're hanging around with the wrong guy, I will tell you God will bring some sort of affliction to get you away from the wrong person that you're on the verge of mating and get you to the person God has called you to to be a mate of, if in fact God has called you to be married. He's going to burn it off. He's going to turn up the heat. That's the baptism of fire. Is a, I'm, a, I'm going to, in essence, here's what, I'm, what this passage says. I'm going to baptize you with power, that's Holy Ghost, and with purity. Power and purity. The purity part, it's not so fun. The power part's a blast. But the blast doesn't last if it's if there's impurities. 
It doesn't work. Look, I, when, I, when I go buy a piece of silver, I don't want something that's 75% pure. I want the best that I can get and buy these days, which is 99.9% pure silver. Same thing with gold. The same thing with God. He wants that which is pure. He's going to turn up the heat. When you get baptized by, by God, you are being baptized in the Holy Ghost with power and by fire, which is purity. You're going to be purified. Okay. Now, to the issue. Is fire a judgment? It was a fire a judgment on paradise. Where has it been? I'll tell you the reason this has come up. And it has come up multiple times. And I preached a message on this about 10 years ago, right after a disaster, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But it's come up recently because California just simply can't seem to not become more evil and more wicked. It has lurched long to the left after this last election. I mean, there are they are God-hating people elected everywhere, places where people who have been represented by righteous people have been replaced by unrighteous. Godly people have been replaced by evil and wicked. They just turned out, uh, Jerry Brown just appointed a new appointee to the California Supreme Court. Now the Supreme Court has run. The last remaining thing that had any real meaningful Republican influence is now run by Democrats. The, the majority is now a supermajority of Democrats in California um, that can do anything, and it's why over a million people, mostly conservatives, many Christians, have fled this state. They see the fire coming, and you do what you do with fire. You run. You run to your point of safety. You run away from it. I understand it. I get it. It's why some of those places have turned over to the Democrats is because there weren't enough Republicans left to vote their old Republican back in. And now even the Supreme Court is gone. There's no statewide office that's not run by a God-hating, by an Elohimophobic, by an El Shaddaiophobic, by a Bibliophobic, Christophobic political party. So the question that arose was, because all these fires broke out, and the mass shooting in Thousand Oaks, where I guess 13 people were shot in that neck, all, all happened within, what, 36 hours of the election where the state of California didn't just reject candidates. They rejected God. They rejected the creator of the universe. They rejected people who brought the word to that particular area of California. They've been tossed out on their ear. Many of those Republicans lost because they didn't do what they should have. They kind of weenied around and compromised, and God's got no use for compromise. We know that if you're neither hot nor cold, he'll spit you, or better put in Scripture, will vomit you out of his mouth. No use for compromisers. No use for lukewarm. We don't do anything eat lukewarm. We eat our food hot or we eat our food cold. We don't even eat it lukewarm. So I understand God spitting it out of his mouth. So some lost for that. But others, others lost just because it seems to have been given over to full demonic control. <clears throat> now, interestingly, interestingly, Paradise, California, where this massive fire is, is one of the more righteous areas, if I can say that. It has a higher proportion of God-fearing people than most of the rest of California. You've got areas up around Red Bluff and Chico and Redding and Paradise. There's a lot of Christians up there. Now, they're in a minority, but they're not the endangered species that they are in other parts of the state. So you might say, well, why up there? So would God judge an area that is actually better than other areas that aren't incurring any particular wrath? Good question, isn't it? Well, I need to go into my message from 10 years ago, but I got to precede that with a passage. There are times, I will just say this, I don't fully understand it, of course, but if you look up in Ezekiel 21, verse 3, Ezekiel 21, verse 3. This is going to shock many people. But twice, God makes a statement there that there are times when even the righteous, even the righteous, are caught up in the judgment against the wicked. 
Now, they aren't caught up necessarily in the same way. And if they die, they don't go to hell. They go to heaven. It's a quick, it's a, it's a promotion from that standpoint. But, but, and could God protect somebody who's caught in a fire, who's a Christian, who's about to die? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I got to do a message on this. How, because it relates to our time during the tribulation and how we will actually be able to withstand the pain and the torture that may come to Christians during the tribulation period. How we are to withstand it. And it's called a thing called grace. It's that which didn't protect Jesus on the cross, but it protects us. We get his grace. He didn't deserve the torture. We did. But he took the torture, and we get his grace that helps us, whether it's deadening nerve endings, causing us to black out. I don't know what it is, but he's a loving God, and he's not there to torture us. And so keep this in mind. If you have loved ones that have, that are lost in that fire, and you know that they knew the Lord, I could... I can virtually guarantee that while it may have been terrifying, God worked a work at the worst time to take the terror out and eliminate the pain. He has done it before. He did it with Jean de Brebeau. You could say Joan of Arc. You might throw in a whole bunch of people who suffered excruciating deaths without, without excruciating pain because we get from Jesus what he surrendered on the cross, and that is a grace that is an unmerited favor that will deaden our nerve endings, close our eyes, shut off our mind, whatever it is, where we don't endure what others are actually painfully enduring that are on their way to hell. That's the way I see Ezekiel twenty one three. The righteous can be caught up in it. They may suffer the same end result in the natural, <clears throat> but a very different result in the way by which they go. And, of course, ultimately, the reward. So a measure of comfort, if you will, for those of you who lost Christian relatives, friends, what have you, in that fire. Now, God does judge. And when I gave the message 10 years ago, it was right after Hurricane Katrina. Now, I made a statement in that message, and I still stick by it. I think, I can't say positively, I truly believe Hurricane Katrina, when he had hit New Orleans, was judgment. New Orleans is one of the most wicked, evil cities in the United States. More witchcraft, more idolatry, more um, evil things, more uh, debaucherous behavior. A day after Katrina hit, one or two days after Katrina hit, there was supposed to be in New Orleans the Festival of Decadence. I'm not kidding. Where 125,000 plus homosexuals come into New Orleans and celebrate with all sorts of, of debauched sex and behavior in the streets. The city of New Orleans welcomed this festival. They rolled out the red carpet, carpet to the celebration of decadence, the festival of decadence, where we are going to, in open streets, by the tens of thousands, shake our fist and flip our finger at God and do everything possible, imaginable, sexually, that upsets and ticks God off. All right? That's what it was about. That, that flood, that storm hit what, 48 hours, and wiped out that whole festival of decadence, all the prep gone. Now, the hurricane was called Katrina. What does Katrina mean? Katrina means clean or being cleansed, pure or being purified. You see, God did a cleansing in New Orleans by wiping it out. Sorry, folks, if you have a disagreement with it, you just might be one of the righteous that got caught up in a judgment. But he's not interested in a festival of decadence. He's dealt with that in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was, which was dealt with as an example for all those who afterward would live ungodly. Right? Right. So here's the deal. Is it always judgment? No. Jesus made a point in, in Luke and go look this up. I don't have time to read it. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. He said, those 18 guys upon whom the tower of Siloam fell, do you suppose that they were more wicked than others? 
And he said, I will tell you not. They would say, no, they're not more wicked, but unless you repent, you likewise will perish. So here's what Jesus was saying. Just because there is a disaster, whether it's in Paradise, California, or whether it's in Vladivostok, Russia, or whether it's in Kathmandu, it doesn't mean that that city is more wicked than some other city. It doesn't automatically mean that. You can't say, they had a disaster, God must be judging them. You can't say that. There was nothing that these 18 men had done that we know of that would give anyone cause to think that they were deserving of that judgment. That's what's different here. New Orleans was different. You see, New Orleans is different than paradise. I don't know what's going on in paradise, but they weren't having a festival of decadence with 125,000 uh, uh, queers celebrating every form of debauched sexual behavior known to man. No, that's not what was going on, or there wasn't some celebration of offering up human sacrifices and massive idolatry. I mean, there's some of this that goes on everywhere, but not celebrations. No, you can't say that paradise was being judged at all. Because you could say, well, what, what went on there that would trigger that? Well, I can say about New Orleans, what went on there that triggered it? We know what went on. It was a wicked city that was reaching for the height of wickedness and idolatry and the celebration of such decadence that God sent a cleansing, purifying, named storm to wipe it out. The very name spoke cleansing and purification to wiping it out. A very different situation. So I'm tired of the preacher saying, well, uh, look, that wasn't judgment. And they use this passage from Luke to say that. But what they miss is the fact that the men that died in Siloam, there's nothing that we know that they did wrong. So you can't say that somebody who died in a car wreck obviously was being judged. No, we don't know of those things. But I do know of some people who turned their back on God and heard of them, turned their back on God incredibly and they were mysteriously blown up driving from L.A. to Las Vegas. God still does judge people. Now, the fact of, and the good news here is, we all, we all have introspection. We all need to sort of clean up, right? What I don't want paradise to do or any other city to do is go paradise strong. That's man's attempt to say, I don't care what happened. We're going to rebuild. No, it should be paradise humbled and seek God. It's the same response, whether it's a city that's been judged or a city that's just incurred a disaster. It needs to seek God and humble itself and say, God, if we have done something wrong, forgive us. If we haven't done something wrong, restore us. But we turn to you. We rely on you. We love you. And the good news upon good news here is that fire, whether it's burning a forest or something else, always prepares a way for new growth. It resets priorities. And the priority that needs to be reset whenever there's a tragedy is that once again, God, Jesus Christ, becomes first in your life. Sit tall in the saddle, globe. Remember, you ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you. See you next week. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. It's raining now in California after the deadly and destructive wildfires. The rain may help crews still battling wildfires, but it also raises the risk of flash flooding, mudslides, and rock slides. And it'll make it tough to recover the remains of those who died. Cal Fire says some people who perished in the Northern California wildfire may never be found.
More than 80 people died there, hundreds more still unaccounted for, more than 13,000 homes destroyed. In Southern California, homeowners who worried that fire may destroy their homes are now worried that water may do it. I'm Rita Foley. With recent outbreaks of E. coli and romaine lettuce and salmonella and raw turkey, it is good to be aware of the risk of food-related sickness on Thanksgiving. The big threat of contamination is with food that is not cooked. Once the big cooked meal is over... You need to pack up the food within two hours of serving. Carmen Rottenberg at the Agriculture Department says it doesn't take long for contamination to happen. I have been to people's homes where they have served a Thanksgiving meal and left a turkey out for six, eight hours, you know, all day and evening for people to munch on. That's really dangerous. Pathogens can grow very rapidly. And Rottenberg says a no-brainer to prevent the spread of bacteria.